This is the Answer Your Unique Calling podcast. This is a podcast for change catalysts, those that believe we can change the world and that the way things are isn't the way they have to be. Through this podcast, I share tools, tips, and inspiring stories for breaking through limitations, creating meaningful change, and embracing and trusting in your deepest truth. I'm Julian Crossenhill, certified spiritual life coach, human design specialist, and founder of Priest of Unana. I help spiritually-minded professionals discover and embrace a life of possibility, freedom, meaning, and impact. Welcome, and thanks for listening. Welcome to this episode of Answer Your Unique Calling. I'm your host, Julian Crossan Hill, and with me today is a special guest. Sam is a breath worker, teacher, circle leader, artist, oneness enthusiast, and truth seeking lady on a mission to neutralize the patriarchy. She has a healthy obsession with non duality, drums, and the goddess mother Kali. Sam is 500 YA certified with additional certifications in pranayama, meditation, restorative yoga, and wild woman facilitation. She has taught classes, workshops, and trainings all over the U.S. Her offerings have been in studios, at festivals, and at retreats. She's the co-creatrix of the Temple of the Rebel Goddess, a community spiritual center in Dayton, Ohio, offering workshops and worship Kirtan, art, and many donation-based gatherings. Welcome to the show, Sam. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Um, so I always sort of like to start by just kind of asking, what does what does spiritual calling mean to you? Um, well, I default to the word dharma. So, like, what what is my soul's purpose? What is the what is the specific gift that I have? latent inside of me dormant that I have to cultivate so that I can offer it out to the world and then make a positive impact to like force the the universe in that perpetual forward expansive um movement yeah because I mean we could all work desk jobs and the wheel could keep turning but we're not expanding so I feel like our our unique calling and purpose is is that specific spiritual gift that that special something that only we can offer Wow. That's a beautiful definition. I love that. So especially that part about you, the latent gift, what a, what a great thing. And it, it resonates with like the work I do with human design. So beautiful. Mm. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get where you are? Um, well, okay. So started with yoga teacher training. I thought I was going to be a yoga teacher. I thought I was going to tell people to do down dog and upward facing dog and all those things. And I took the training and I quickly realized that, um, while I enjoyed other people telling me what to do with my body for a specific hour, several times a week, I had no, there was no joy derived from me telling other people how to move their body pose by pose by pose. Um, and instead what I found was, I mean, I was very much confronted with this idea of myself, you know, that I was going to be this thing once I had the certification and that was not at all what the universe was providing me with. Um, so then I had to get really quiet and really subtle. And then I realized what I really loved most was watching people breathe and watching people breathe deeply and fully and 
like the, the pure presence that comes with doing nothing else other than assisting someone to be present with the breath. Like I could just spend days there and it's not boring at all. Doing nothing is not boring at all. Cause there's so much to do. Um, so, so that kind of, um, subtle aspect of yoga took me deeper and deeper and deeper. And then, um, and eventually into philosophy and then divinity. And I found the goddess and she had her hold on my heart <laughs> and then <laughs> consumed my whole life and ruined everything in the most perfect way. Um, yeah. So, so then I taught breathwork for a while and several workshops and leaned into facilitating, um, offerings through the lens of the divine feminine and through the goddess. And, um, and then eventually we opened up the temple of the rebel goddess, me and my co-creatrix, Sarah, who you've had on the podcast recently. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and then her and I, we just get to play all the time. And then with all the other facilitators, just playing and creating literally every single day. Yeah. Wonderful. So you and Sarah are, have pretty different personalities and it's really fun watching you interact <laughs> and play. So, um, what in, in your view, what do you bring to the temple? Like what's your, what's your role in the work at the temple? I, um, well, from my perspective, so I do, um, Strategically, I do a lot of the admin backend stuff. I am more of an introvert, and so I'm best, and I I derive the most energy from doing things solo individually, even though I love being with people, where she is very much the extrovert and loves being in, in front of people with people that gives her energy. Um, but I feel like me specifically, I pull a lot of information and wisdom from the Vedic lens. So from ancient yogic texts specifically, um, cause there's so many spiritual texts from, from the Vedic pantheon and that culture. I mean, thousands, thousands and thousands of volumes of encyclopedias, and it offers an entire range of perspectives within that umbrella, different ways you can think about God. You can think about your purpose. You can think about what our soul is, um, and and some of them even conflict with each other, which is why it's so beautiful, because you can kind of, you know, you just dig deeper and you find something that's more specifically you. Um, whereas a lot of the other things at the temple are uh, are more like witchy or or pagan based, which I very much align with. I just don't have the depth of knowledge where I have a lot of juice and a lot of energy around Vedic philosophy, basically, like the way in which our ego structure works within our brain and how we're connecting with one another um, and and like universal oneness, basically, how we're all connected. Yeah, wonderful. Um, so I want to revisit that a little bit because you mentioned when you talked about the breath work, the subtle aspects of yoga. And I mm -hmm. think in Western culture, people think yoga is asana, the practice of making these poses and moving the body. And of course, mm -hmm. you've taught some workshops and talked about the broader approach of yoga. So for, for listeners who aren't familiar with that, can you sort of give the, the high level summary of what yoga is? Yeah, well, so at its core, so there's different different schools of thought. Most of us are moving off of Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. That's where we get yoga asana from. And 
Patanjali's Yoga Sutras talks about a few physical poses, specifically being seated. That's those are the poses he talks about. Let's sit down. Um, but he only mentions out of the hundred and some verses, he only mentions sitting down two or three times. But he mentions breath. 10 times. He mentions God specifically many, many more times than that. Um, so while asana, it, physical postures are one aspect, there's other layers of being. Um, I like to, to come from the perspective of the koshas, which are the sheaths of the body, the things that cover our our soul or our, our eternal aspect of, of um, our being. And so we have physical body is sheath number one. So from the most coarse, and then we head towards the most subtle, the second aspect is our breath body. So we can still feel it. We can see it. We can kind of control it, but a little bit more subtle than the physical body. Um, then there is the mental body, our thoughts, feelings, emotions, memories, right? All of these things exist within this layer of being, um, that, that is, that is the experience of like Sam, right. That I'm having. And then there is the intuitive body. So the wisdom that exists beyond my own experience, beyond anything I could possibly know, universal consciousness. And then finally, most subtle of all is the bliss body, the layer of being that is eternal, that is changeless, spotless, that knows no judgment that just is, um, pure awareness. So spirit, soul, source, whatever you'd like to call it. And so yoga, um, as defined by Patanjali is the stilling of the fluctuations of the mind so that the seer can abide in its own true nature, which means so that that subtle layer of self, the pure awareness that knows no judgment, can we still our mind and the fluctuations of our mental faculties enough that we can remember that we are eternal, spotless, one individual with all of creation that that's what really yoga is. And so physical asanas are one way to get there because it, if we move our body a whole bunch, we move a whole bunch of energy and a whole bunch of stagnant, you know, crud, energetic crud out the body. And then after you, you know, run a marathon, after you do a, a long yoga session, you can sit cause you're like, huh, right. And you've like been wrung out. And so then there's all these subtle aspects of yoga, these subtle practices, breath practices, meditation practices, philosophy practices, um, ritual devotional practices that will do the same thing and still the mind a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time so that we can rest in our true nature and our, and, and have our mental faculties somehow stop thinking so that we can remember that we are eternal. Wow. That's, that's really an amazing view of yoga. And I think it's really sort of sad that we've reduced it to exercise, right? So, typical white colonizer nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> just like, just take literally one aspect out of it and then just, you know, bastardize the rest and completely remove it from its source. Because, I mean, it's so interesting because I remember when I first got into yoga practice and I was reading articles about how a whole bunch of fundamentalists like didn't want yoga taught in schools because it was, you know, a little like too new agey and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, there's no God in yoga. And then the further I got into it, like that's, that's all yoga is, is connection with our source. That's literally all it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Incredible. So you mentioned um, as one of the yoga practices, devotion. And of course, I've been to your bhakti yoga workshop and you do mm -hmm. kirtan, which is a devotional practice at the mm -hmm. temple. So what led you to bhakti? Um, well, I, I don't think that it was a conscious pursuit by any means. It was, um, sort of like a, like a mental fixation without knowing that's what it was. It was like this, um, 
ceaseless thirst and hunger to be closer to like yearn, you know, when you fall in love and you just can't get enough of that person and you just want to like devour and every moment is consumed with like how much you love them. That just sort of happened. Um, and so bhakti is, it is a modern day approach. So in, in a system of yoga, there's different time periods, 400,000 time periods, there's four of them. And with each time period, each age, you, the, the people, the experiences degrade. And so we're in the last and final age known as the Kali Yuga, where everybody is hypocrites and we have no control over our minds, right? We need a dopamine hit every what 0.2 seconds when we scroll, right? We can't manage things the way that we use. We can't sit for hours at a time to meditate because we're not structured that way anymore. But bhakti is a practice intended for this final yuga because it's this final time period because it's so enjoyable and it's instant satisfaction because you're connecting with your beloved um, as the divine. The divine is your beloved. And so your heart just aches for this connection and aches for this personal attachment to, to the divine, whatever archetype you most align with, whether it's masculine, femi- feminine, or non-dual. Um and so bhakti can have a formal set of practices, but it could be literally all day long as relaxed and casual. I'm making food and I'm thinking of, of my archetype of the divine and I'm thinking thoughts of her and I'm singing songs to her while I'm cooking and I'm anticipating if she's going to enjoy this meal that I'm cooking. That is all bhakti yoga. Um, so I, I sort of fell into it and then I just, it's so accessible that there's no reason not to be doing it. And it just feels good. It feels like I'm playing with my beloved and, and anything less than that feels like a little bit superficial and empty, you know, in yeah. comparison, like I, yeah. I, I, I don't want to say anything about anyone else's spiritual path, but like, I could never like sit in a pew and have somebody tell me about a sermon in a, in a book that they read. If there's no heart, you know what I mean? If there's no personal connection of like, of, of love and I don't know, do, devotion is about putting something ahead of yourself, knowing that there's something bigger and greater and, um, not necessarily of more value, but, um, maybe of, of denser value perhaps. And, and it just makes so much more sense. And it feels good. It feels good to like humbly bow and be like, how can I serve? How can I think of you more? How can I fold more of the the greater humanity into, into everything that I do? Wow. That's really an amazing description. And I love that it's sort of the way you describe it. It's really just everyday spiritual practices, everyday things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So you've mentioned Kirtan and some people might not be familiar with what Kirtan is. So can you describe a little bit about what happens in a Kirtan? Yeah. So it's devotional singing. Um, often it is call and response. So we perhaps we have memories of singing from a hymnal when we were younger, but this is entirely different because this is improvisational. So while there might be a structured mantra to say, um, the melody that is used or the way that the leader is presenting it changes moment to moment. And it's it's co-created from the person who's leading as well as the recipients that are responding. So it's it's completely dynamic and it's a very right brain form of, of worship and of meditation. It's very active and dynamic. Um, 
for the folks that are like, I, I can't sit in meditation because my brain goes all over the place. If you are sitting in a room and you're singing with a bunch of other adults, which is not something that our culture typically does, you can't really <laughs> be in your head. I mean, I guess you very much could be in your head, but for, for you to be able to enjoy it and to be able to co-create with one another and drop into that resonance, you really have to move into your heart space. Um, but but on the surface level, so if you were to walk into to Kirtan, what it would look like, it would look like a giant group of people all clustered together on a bunch of cushions on the floor. And we are singing and wailing and throwing our heads back with our eyes closed and we're laughing and maybe we're crying. And uh, sometimes we get up and dance and we're playing instruments. Um it's fun because we put out a whole bunch of instruments, like very primitive. We have this like wooden toad that has like a ripples on its back. So you can just like <laughs> over its back, right? It's so, like that's in his weave, shakers, maracas. And we've got frame drums and we've got tambourines and we've got cymbals. And then we've got harmoniums, you know, like a hand pumped um, small organ. And then we have merdangas, which are double sided clay drums. So the instruments can get more and more fancy, but even the most like primitive and simple instruments, if you're like, oh, I don't have have any beat perfect pick up a shaker pick up mar maraca you know what i mean it adds so much dimension and depth and then what happens is when you have 15 people all with this you know varying amount of instruments and you have these varying um you know qualities of voice and it all comes together it's just it's so much fun and I never thought that I would enjoy singing. I always thought that I was a terrible singer and I never thought that I had any um any beat at all but when when we started making drums, Sarah and I, um, and then through COVID, I got really into dancing. So I found, I found beat through, through drum and through dancing. Um, but I still didn't think that I had any ability to sing in front of others. And in fact, I had a best friend that one time told me I was the worst singer she had ever known. <laughs> and then I stopped singing in the car with her because I was so self-conscious. It was like traumatic. Um, but my partner got really into kirtan. He loved singing and he doesn't just do a little bit of something. He goes all the way like to the max. He doesn't talk about it. He bees about it. And so he was being kirtan and then drug me along for the ride and um, and sort of developed this joy with singing because I, I would like, you know, softly sing or I would just like mouth the words, which is still enjoyable, but it's way more fun to just, I mean, it's the same as breathing, right? Just like leveraging that diaphragm, pulling all the power you can within this physical vessel and then blowing it out into a, a vibrational sound it's just, it's intoxicating and it's so much fun. And, and <laughs> it's like, it's like the most wholesome addictive drug. And there's been, cause we have Kirtan every single Thursday and, and then we feed people afterwards. And it's like some Thursdays I'm so stressed out because there's so many things to do. I'm cooking food. I have to, it's also like my admin day. So I'm doing stuff, you know, at the computer at home and trying to like wrangle all of these things. And I'm all wound up because I'm also like kind of a control freak. And then I'm like, I just can't wait. If I can just get to Kirtan, everything will be fine. Because once I get to Kirtan, everything falls away. And then once you yell and sing and laugh and cry with a bunch of people for two hours, everything does go away. And my spirit is elated and, you know, like all of my needs are met, like nothing is wrong. It's just, it's so, I just can't recommend it enough. Even the people who are like, I would never enjoy that. I know me either, but I do. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's obviously you're very, very passionate about it. And so, yeah. Um, I, I love what you said about, you know, you have to kind of let go of that self-consciousness. And I think 
in spiritual business, a lot of us have that too. Like the first time we get on video and social media or put out a YouTube video, we're so like, I can't do this. And how's it going to look? And what are other people going to say? And it's kind of the same thing about singing at Kirtan, right? You can't be in your head being self-conscious about it. You just go and you have fun. It's playful and it's enjoyable and it's devotion to the divine. So, you know, why hold back? Exactly. Well, and if the divine is the creator of everything, they already have everything anyways. The only thing you can give them is specifically you. And if it's a voice that's cracking or that doesn't have any tone, the divine doesn't have that unless you specifically give it to them. Do you know? So it's like, and, and I've been to enough kirtans where I know, like I've been moved by some really incredible angelic voices that just will take your breath and someone will start singing and you just hear oh like from the crowd because people are like damn that's beautiful right their voice is incredible and then you know I get in my head about how my voice has to be beautiful but honestly I have been more moved like greater depths of of heart moving love and bliss from someone who has no technical abilities and who is just vulnerably stepping out on a limb offering their beautiful cracking voice with their eyes closed and without worry or fear and and it gives it's such a gift because then everybody else in the room has permission to not have to be perfect to just give and that in itself is enough it's more than enough it's just so the best kirtans i've ever heard are the ones that the people don't know how to sing at all and then it just it just reminds me that nothing has to be perfect whether it's you know putting something out on social media the things that are the most human about us are the things that people love the most perfection is not what people love it's not yeah it's not what they connect to yeah absolutely and you know and i think there have been studies on that where you know because our faces aren't symmetrical And so they use AI to create symmetrical faces and people really did like, didn't like them, like felt Mm -hmm. like they were weird and just something was Mm -hmm. off about it. Right. And so we love, Mm -hmm. we we're drawn to the imperfect because sometimes it's the most beautiful, but we don't realize that sometimes when we're doing our work. Mm -hmm. So I'm really curious um, about being a spiritual entrepreneur, how you sort of make that shift from this very subtle, very ethereal kind of approach, right? You're very connected to the divine, very connected to that presence and that devotion. And then you have to get like in the trenches of late stage (laughs) capitalism and run a business. How do you do that, Sam? (laughs) Well, I question myself every single day. (laughs) And I remind myself that none of this really, really matters. (laughs) But it does, right? Depending on the perspective, everything matters. And then also nothing, nothing matters. Um, But I would say, I mean... Okay, if if I'm going to work every day, if I'm going to do something every single day, it doesn't make sense that I don't enjoy it. So I can enjoy <laughs> in terms of like functional career, right? Like, does this pay my bills? I can still enjoy life even if I don't have seven commas in my bank account, right? As long as my needs are met, I can still find joy, right? So, so that was number one, I think, in switching from from like standard operating procedure in the West to like pursuing soul purposes. Like it doesn't have to be about the money because it shouldn't be about the money. It should be about the thing that I love. And if I pursue it with 
without disdain and with full trust and full love, then the universe will support me, period. Whatever that looks like, whether or not I think it's enough support, it's enough support. It always is going to be enough support. Um, But Hey, honestly, I don't know. Cause sometimes I feel like I don't balance it very well. Cause I do, I do a lot of things on the computer. And then I feel like I'm sometimes I'll look at the computer so long that I don't feel like I'm a person anymore. And I'm like, I need to like feel wind on my face or see the shadow from the sun <laughs> and a leaf to like, know that there's a real world out there because I can get so, you know, bogged down with like crossing things off the list. Um, and it's like the the sense of um, the sense of self that comes with like meeting goals doing and achieving and, and productivity, right? Because a lot of the things that I value most are not what anyone would consider like productive, right? Like writing a poem <laughs> for the divine, right? And I'm like crying. I've spent the last three hours in bliss, like high quality value time, but to somebody else that may not be productive because there isn't much to show for it other than a few, you know what I mean? Words on a page, but I've like reinforced this relationship with this eternal aspect of myself. So it, so it very much is, but then, you know, from the outside, it's nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe it's the, maybe it's the outside perspective that needs to shift. Maybe we need to focus on different things in our society. I completely agree without a doubt. (laughs) So I've known you for a while, Sam. And one of the things that I've always sort of admired about you is you were, you were a single mom and you didn't work full, like full-time or full-time plus you had, you had your things that you did and you were, you were very frugal and sort of had this like sense of enough. And I think that that's something that so many people are lacking is that like sense of I've got enough. I'm okay. I don't need to like strain. I don't need to force. I don't need to work extra. How did you arrive at that? I think a lot of people really would, would benefit from understanding, like, how did you, how did you just make that decision or come to that place where you felt like you had enough, you were doing enough and you didn't, didn't need more. I, It definitely wasn't conscious. I think I've, I have, my soul was just wired in a way that the discomfort from working at something I don't actually care about is way more than the discomfort of, I don't know, not having a dishwasher. I don't know. Like that to me is like not a big deal. If I don't have a dishwasher, okay, then I'll wash these dishes. And then I get to hold each dish after I consume food on it and recognize that it's offering me nourishment so I can wash it purposefully. I don't know. I guess, I guess more, um, more awareness of like the details and subtleties and things that I don't, I don't need a whole bunch. Plus the more I have, the more I have to maintain, the more I have to clean, the more laundry baskets I have to have, the more drawer space, the more, right. And and at yeah. some point I remember, you know, cause buying things, there's, there's that rush, that, that, that adrenaline rush and that dopamine, that feel good of like, I have a new thing. Right. But what I started doing was anytime I wanted a new thing, well, first of all, I'd have to want it. I'd have to want it good enough for a long enough amount of time. I tried to not, not buy anything on a whim, but if there's something that I would want, I would consider not only like the price tag, but what is the energetic value? So like the space that it's taking up in my closet 
Am I going to wash this on a regular basis? Is it going to sit in a pile? Am I going to have to fold it? How many times am I going to have to fold it? And then, or even if it's not like a garment of clothing, right? Because I I have a soft spot for beautiful antique teacups. But the thing is, I can't keep these teacups forever. So at some point, I have to release it into the world. So I should I should build that cost, that energetic cost of the attachment, releasing the attachment out into the world, like letting this go, because at some point I'm going to be like, I don't need this anymore. Right. And I have to let it go. And that pain, I have to include that into the actual cost initially. (laughs) And then everything becomes extremely expensive and it's not worth my time or my energy, to be honest. (laughs) Wow. That's a really unique perspective, but I love it. You know, I think it's interesting when you talked about like having to let that thing go, because, you know, I'm a gay man. My husband and I don't have kids. We have things that have been handed down from family and they're, Mm. they're valuable to us, not so much because of the thing that they are, but because of the memories and the stories that come from that thing. Mm. And I was struggling with that at one point of like, you know, I don't have kids, like the stuff all kind of just becomes meaningless after me. And the coach Mm. I was working with at the time said, what if you started to give those things away before you died, along with the stories and the memories so that someone else kept those things alive, right? Those, those people that those things were attached to, because, you know, I've always been pagan. And when someone passes away, we have a thing that we say uh, among other pagans, what is remembered lives is what we say, because, you know, if Mm -hmm. you continue telling that person's stories, that person's Mm -hmm. still with us in a way. Mm -hmm. So it just was an interesting shift in perspective. So I love how you sort of mentioned that like pain of having to move it on at some point, because you can't have it forever. At some point you're going to be done with this life and with these things. And then Mm -hmm. somebody has to do something with the stuff. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, wow, that's amazing. Um, So I'm really curious, what has been the biggest challenge for you in running a spiritual business? Um balance probably the the heart centered what is important to my soul and then then getting things done right and yeah. maintaining some sort of st- structure and, and organizing of things and um but as, i would say underneath all of that is all of the opportunities to see my ego doing icky things because the the larger scale um like enterprise you're creating right the more opportunities your ego does the things that it's always done to either protect you or you know what i mean and i yeah. although i've done a lot of self work and i'll never stop doing self work and i think that i've grown exponentially you know in in the last 5 years in the last decade i still the the more work i do the more i see my ego doing things i'm like oh i don't I could be better with people if I, if I, you know, do this, this thing slightly different or, you know, I'd already said, I'm, I'm a little bit of a control freak. I never realized that until I started creating a whole bunch because I have, I have a very specific mindset and it has to be, it has to, it has to be a certain level before I feel comfortable putting my name out in the world with it on it. And um, it's, it's really interesting to, to know that none of that actually is is based in reality and instead it's it's my lower self trying to flex muscles that don't need to be flexed but it feels so um it feels so honest when it's happening but it's it's not i, I would say that's the hardest part is recognizing all of the 
I can sit back and see all this that I've created. I'm like, wow, that's so, so incredible. So great. And then day to day, I'm like, oh, I could do better. Oh, I could do better. Oh, I could do better. But, <laughs> but that's what keeps me growing. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm already perfect. And also there's a ton of room for growth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. That's a great way to summarize it. So, and you are very organized. Like I've seen you do stuff for the temple and you are very organized and very structured in your work. So it's interesting that dichotomy between how you are when you're working in the business as the business person and how you are the rest of the time. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I have no idea how like this scrambled egg situation of what I am happened, but that's what happened. <laughs> I, I love that. I'm going to use that sometime about that's... the scrambled egg. Yeah, because I, that's what we all are, right? We're all kind of like this mix of weird faults and gifts, and it's all sort of scrambled together. And it's really about sorting out that scramble and figuring out how to use it in the best yeah. way. Well, and it's like the more, the more I know about myself, the more scrambly it gets because like I like taking a um, personality test, right? Because it's like if, you know, X, Y, Z, and then you feel A, B, C. And I'm like, well, it depends on these other factors, you know, L, M, N. And so my answer to things changes depending on like, I can't, I can't just have a simple answer. Whereas I feel like 10 years ago, it'd be like, oh, if you know, which way do you feel most loved? Oh, by words of affirmation, done deal. But I'm like, no, no, no. Well, it depends. It depends on the day. It depends on who's giving it to me. It depends on what it is that I've done. It depends. You know what I mean? And it's just, it gets yeah. more and more scrambled. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So um, we're coming to the end of our time. So what, what would sort of parting wisdom would you want to share with listeners? Or is there something, anything that we didn't get to, to that you would like to, to bring up? Um, I don't think there's anything that we didn't get to that I would like to bring up. Um, the parting wisdom. Okay. So my parting wisdom is the easiest and fastest way for us to connect to our source, capital S source, spirit, soul, divine, whatever you'd like to call it. Great mystery is I believe the most accessible, accessible and successful way is through the breath. If, if we can feel breath moving through our body and just for that single breath cycle what is it three seconds six seconds or maybe a 10 second if you're lucky if you've got a nice long inhale and exhale if you just spend 10 seconds reflecting on where's this energy coming from where did this breath originate right because it didn't originate in my body it didn't even originate in the plants that converted carbon dioxide into oxygen for me because they breathed it, right? The plants breathed it before I did, but then I'm breathing it. And I had read something somewhere of like the breath that was in, you know, the first T-Rex is moving through us now because it just moves around and it's recycled and it's borrowed and it it just automatically um, drops us into the awareness of the fact that there is no separation. The thing that energizes and activates and animates this consciousness inside me is the same thing that's inside you that was in our ancestors, that was in the dinosaurs, that was in the very beginning, you know, first sound that happened within the universe. And yeah, just that, that, that thread, you can follow that trail anytime you want, every time you want, because you're breathing. It's, it's literally that simple. Wow. That's that's my wisdom. Yeah. That's what I have. That's fantastic. Yeah. So you're Thank teaching you. a breathwork uh, training, a, a breathwork teacher training coming up soon, right? 
I am. Yeah. It's a long three-day weekend. Um, There's a lot of different ways that people can learn breath work. Like you can take certifications on um, circular breathing or the Wim Hof method, right? And in all of these, I want to say like trademarked forms of breathing, but um, the the training that I'm offering is is a little bit more general and not so aggravating to the um, to the nervous system because sometimes a lot of these breaths because people are so we need so much we need so much so quickly and so even in our breath practices that are supposed to be really soft and subtle we've amped them up threw them on steroids and you know jump in a cold plunge while you're at it and and it's too it's too activating um so the breath work training that i'm offering is is a lot more subtle and it's a lot more um based on the foundations of the energetics of the breath and how to leverage the breath as a tactical tool if I want to feel more energized, there's a way I can breathe that can do that. If I want to feel um, more grounded, if I have anxiety, if I um, you know, don't want to hit that 3 p.m. cup of coffee, but I need something to remind me that life is worth living, there's a breath for that or there's a way in which we can engage um, and, and co-create with the breath instead of just forcefully manipulating it to be a certain way. that can help us help us literally change our energy but more than that the the breathwork teacher training is about really uncovering that fundamental quality of the breath which is that we are all eternally connected and there's an infinite number of things to observe and explore and learn about ourselves hidden in the breath and it will just keep unfolding and what an incredible gift we've been given by the great mystery that put breath inside these bodies that we just get to have it every single moment until we're no longer in these bodies. I mean, and it's free and everybody's breathing anyways. You might as well be breathing well because none of us, none of us are, most of us are not anyways, you know, we're breathing from the, from the chest, but we can actually, um, you know, reduce our need for pharmaceutical drugs by breathing from our diaphragm, breathing correctly. And, and I have a, it's funny because p- teachers, myself included, sometimes I say breathe from the belly, you know, breathe low, deep into the belly, but like our breath doesn't actually move into the, like energetically. Yes. But anatomically, there's no, there's no breathing apparatus that happens low in the belly. It's all up in the chest. So it's even that alone is like, okay, we need to learn how we're thinking about the breath. Um, I, yeah, I just can't talk enough about it. And honestly, I just, I love having people fall in love with the breath because we're all breathing. No one really thinks about it at all. I'm like, you guys, you're constant companion. (laughs) It's so sweet. It's like such a fun friend to have. And, um, the other thing with the breath is as soon as we think, we think that I can observe the breath and it, what's not going to, I can observe it neutrally and it's not going to change. But as soon, if I say, how long is your exhale? Immediately your exhale starts to change. And it's this awareness of like, what is my ego doing? And it's this whole more subtle layer to, to play with. Um, so even if you're like, I have no interest in teaching breath or any of this yoga stuff, it even just self-reflection because there's these really little tiny corners of the psyche that bloom and blossom through breath work. So, so that, that's what the, the three-day weekend is about, is about all of those things and then learning how to facilitate these experiences for others in a, um, in a, um, 
a more co-creative way instead of, oh, we're going to do box breathing, you know, four in, four hold, four out, four hold. It's like, no, no, no. What does this person need? Like watch their bodies. What is their body asking for? How can you help them be more present with this gift of breath? Yeah, yeah. I'm really pumped about it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It shows. And, and that's coming up in April, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's a Friday night, oh. Saturday and a Sunday. Cool. All right. And then Thursday nights, there's Kirtan at the temple with you and your partner. Yep. Um, I play drums until my hands part and then I'll play a maraca <laughs> after that usually, or maybe I'll clap. Yeah. And then my partner Taylor plays the harmonium. Um, but anybody who comes is welcome to lead anything. Um, and that's one of our favorite parts is if we get someone new and they're like, yeah, I'll sing a mantra. And it's like, all right, sweet. And sometimes it's not even just mantra. Sometimes it's, um, we actually will sing, please prepare me, which is like a classic Christian song, but it's so sweet. Cause it's asking for everyone to be a sanctuary for one another and and seeing through the eyes of the divine. And, and so, yeah, so, so Kirtan's really all encompassing, um, could be mantra, could be something else. Everyone is welcome. We will feed you afterwards. Always vegetarian. 90% of the time it's vegan, almost always gluten-free. And then we never serve onions or garlic either because the, the divine that we serve doesn't particularly like it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we meet lots of dietary restrictions as well with the food. <laughs> Awesome. Great. And then once a month you do Humanity Circle. So tell us a little bit about Humanity Circle. Yeah. Humanity Circle is a lot of fun. So it is, um, we sit in a circle and then instead of, it was kind of like my response to wanting something like church that wasn't church. So instead of us sitting in a, in pews in a line, all lower than the person that is leading the sermon, instead of that, we sit in a circle and then someone will bring a topic. Um, I'll, I'll organize it ahead of time. They'll bring a topic and they'll prepare a reading from a book or two. And so the topic is something that's going on within the the realms of their own humanity. So something that they're struggling with or something that they've recently learned. And then they share a reading on it, maybe 10, 10, 15 minutes. And then we move around the circle and share. If you feel called, no one has to share ever. Um, but any share is always a gift. And so then we move through the circle and then everyone comments and shares um, either a, a personal story in relation to that particular aspect of humanity that they're bringing or something that they're struggling with. Um, and it's just a space to be heard and to receive. So instead of one person offering a sermon with wisdom from one person's brain, if you have a circle of 15 people and all 15 people are sharing, you know, three minutes worth of high quality wisdom nugget, and it just spills out of us. And then, you know, when one person does it inspires the next person and inspires the next person. And we just get deeper and deeper and deeper as it moves across the circle. And then, um, so then we get real deep and we, we feel in our feels, and then we do a final circle of gratitude. We usually offer gratitude to something that's invisible. So something that's changeless that can never be taken away. So memories, thoughts, um, feelings, we offer gratitude to those things that are eternal. And then we sing some kirtan, maybe 20, 30 minutes, depending on how long the sharing is. And then we eat. So we, we like to sing. We like to feed people. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, it sounds yeah. wonderful. Um so how do people get in touch with you or keep up with what, what you're doing and, and what's going on at the temple? 
So we have our um, temple Instagram. We're probably the most active on. Um, and then we we're also on Facebook as well. And then our website, the website is always getting things added to it. There is events and workshops. I mean, I'm talking three, four, five a weekend. It's bananas. <laughs> so that's that's prob the website's probably the most effective and up to date all the time um, with things going on. And then I have um, my uh, personal Instagram, but mostly that's just cats and nonsense. <laughs> <It's funny. laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's what I got. Okay, great. Well, I'll include all those links in the description for those of you listening and Sam, thank you so much for, for taking the time to be here and, and sharing your wisdom with us. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much for asking. And thank you for sharing this conversation with me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. This has been the Answer Your Unique Calling podcast with spiritual life coach, Julian Prossenhill. Help others discover this podcast by leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Did this episode speak to you? Is there something you'd like to hear more about? Have a suggestion for a guest you'd like to hear? DM me on social media or use the contact page on my website to let me know. www.priestofanana.com That's Priest of Anana. I-N-A-N-N-A dot com. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Priest of Inanna. And don't forget to check out the Soul Expansion Soundboard live every other Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern on YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn. 